welcome back to Art Watch. I'm your host, Tori. Um, today we have quite the episode. Thank you for kind of holding off and letting me publish this later in the day as opposed to in the morning. I kind of had a crazy weekend. I disconnected from technology for the most part because I started spring break and I really just needed a reset because my brain was fried from the semester. And yeah, so I really liked the layout of the last episode with Marissa, so I'm gonna try and keep that a little bit more conversational flow, I guess, and hopefully it works on my own. So, the logistics. I am still waiting on Pandora and iHeartRadio to publish the podcast, so give me a few weeks on that. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm trying to contact them, but I keep getting pulled in circles, so that's fun. Um, but it should actually now be available on TuneIn Alexa, but I don't actually have any Amazon devices, so let me know if it doesn't work. I guess that's the best option. If anybody out there has one and you want to try and listen to the podcast through your Echo, whatever they're called, let me know if it doesn't work and I will do my best to make sure that it does work. So, as usual, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Deezer, and pretty much everywhere else except for Pandora and iHeartRadio. Um, but we're working on that. It's taking a bit, but we're working on it. If you aren't already, make sure you're following me on social media. My Instagram is and Twitter is at ArtWatchPodcast. So make sure you follow, share with your friends. I'm sure you have many of art-loving friends that would love to listen in. Um, and now it's time for the patron shout out. Ha Thank you so much, Caitlin, for being my first patron and supporting the podcast. And also, as I'm recording this, I know it's your birthday, so happy birthday. Um, and to all my other listeners out there, do you want to become a patron? I would really love it if you did. Um, I am so grateful for any of the membership levels that you start with. I have a total of five, I think. So the first one is only $3 a month. It's called Friend of Art Watch, and it is general support. So I am working on the website. It was a little bit more intensive than I had thought. And so I'm trying to figure out all of the, the kinks to it. And your general support also goes towards helping me get everything on all of the platforms. And I am so eternally grateful for, again, any level that you choose to become a patron at. The next level is Art Watcher. It's $6 a month. You get the patron shout out, general support, and you'll become close friends on Instagram. The next one is Art Lover at $12 a month. Everything that the previous memberships have had, and you'll start getting discounts on merch and you'll get exclusive sales. So that's really fun. The next level is Art Expert at $30 a month. And again, everything is the previous membership levels, but you now start to get exclusive content. So I'm thinking it'll be unedited episodes where you kind of get more of that like progress conversations. Like for example, in the conversation I had with Marissa, there was a ton more to it. We had to edit it down. And you only saw like a small portion of it, even though it was over an hour long. Um, and then you'll also get exclusive merch. So you'll get a sticker, mug, or tote once per quarter, and the designs will change each season every year. And then the final level that I have is called Art Scholar. It's $50 a month, 
and you get everything at the levels before. And then for the exclusive merch, you'll not only get the sticker, mug, or tote once per quarter, you'll also get a t-shirt during the summer plus a hoodie for the fall just in time for the winter. Um, and again, the designs will change each season every year. So if you would like to become a member, um, visit me at patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast and there will be a link in the bio. Um, whatever level you choose, thank you so much. And even if you don't become a patron, thank you for just listening to the podcast and supporting its growth. Um, if you are following me on Instagram and Twitter, you probably saw today that I posted that we now have over 300 downloads. That's insane. And to make even... To make it even better, it's over 13 countries. That's so cool. Thank you so much for supporting and sharing with your friends. And my heart is just exploding at how exciting this is. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Yeah, so midterm check-in. We're at that point in the semester where all hell is breaking loose. Have you been making progress on those long-term assignments? Have you been studying for those midterms? If you're in those survey classes, are you making sure you're reviewing your notes? If you haven't met with your professor and you feel like you're struggling, have you reached out to them? I have actually been slacking just a little bit. I didn't get to stick to my exact schedule, mainly because a lot of stuff happened and <sighs> syllabi change and it can get, it can get overwhelming, um, especially at the graduate level. So, or if you're a full-time student and you're working full-time, life happens, make sure you just get back on track and readjust. And that's what I'm doing, going back to my planner and, and fixing what I need to, you know, adjust. And then of course, it's just practice, practice, practice. So making sure you're sticking to the schedule and really pushing yourself to do so. Um, but also, are you taking time for yourself? This time of the semester is so, so stressful because of all of that that's happening. So have you, you know, taken breaks from social media, going out for walks, if you can, some sort of self-care, even if it's like once a week, make sure you're doing that. I care about the listeners. Okay, so now we are going to jump into the topic for today. So we are going to be talking about Venezuelan artist, Carlos Cruz Diaz. Who is he? Um, well, his name is Carlos Cruz Diaz, and he was born in 1923. He actually recently died in 2019. Um, he lived and worked in Paris for Paris for a large portion of his career. And why is he important? What is he known for? Well, he was mainly involved in kinetic and op art, and kinetic art is related to motion in space and or time. Sometimes what's moving is the actual work itself. So if you've ever seen mobiles or anything of the like where some part of the object is moving, that's related to kinetic art. Or it could actually be the use of geometric shapes that alter the viewer's perception, which is really neat. Now, the difference between kinetic and op art is that op art focuses on a type of optical illusion, either using line, shapes, or color. The work itself doesn't move, but they often appear to move or vibrate due to the strategic placement of line shape and or color. Both forms gained popularity among Latin American artists around the 1950s and 60s, although some artists experimented with iterations of each before. And I believe one of those is actually Joaquin Torres Garcia, or Garcia? No, Torres Garcia, yeah. 
And he had experiments with wooden kinetic pieces, but it wasn't, it wasn't what we're going to be talking about today. It's quite different, um, very early form. So Cruz Diaz began experimenting with kinetic and op art in the 60s when he went to Paris. He worked with fellow Venezuelan artist Jesus Rafael Soto, but Cruz Diaz focused more on the importance of color in creating multisensory experience of art. Cruz Diaz was interested in the unique nature of color and how it was perceived by the individual eye, as well as color's ability to produce visual vibrations. This leads him to create his fizzy chromies and chromosaturations, which is what I'll mostly focus on today. So a fizzy chromie, as defined by the artist, is a structure designed to reveal certain circumstances and conditions related to color, changing according to the movement of the viewer and the intensity of the light, and thus projecting color into space to create an evolutionary, evolutionary situation of additive, reflective, and subtractive color. A fizzy chromie acts as a light trap in a space where a series of color frames interact, frames that transform each other, generating new ranges of colors not present on the support. Thus, the color fills the space confined between the vertical sheets, light modulators, that cover the entire work. In addition, due to the effects of the viewer or light source, a series of color variations are created in them, similar to those observed in the real space of the landscape. These, colors vary, these color variations that endlessly repeat themselves every day are not always exactly the same, due to the variations of intensity and nature of the light that the showers, that showers them, sorry. Hence the name physichromy, by calling into play the color of light, the physical color. So chromosaturations, as defined by the artist, are works related to the idea that, or these works relate to the idea that in the origin of every culture lies a primary event as a starting point. A simple situation that generates a whole system of thought, sensitivity, myths, etc. The chromosaturation is an, is an artificial environment composed of three color chambers, one red, one green, and one blue, that immerse the visitor in a completely monochrome situation. This experience creates disturbances in the retina accustomed to receive wide range ranges of color simultaneously. The chromosaturation can act as a trigger, activating in the viewer the notion of color as a material or physical situation, going into space without the aid of any form or even without any support, regardless of cultural beliefs. These are entirely unique to the individual because we all perceive color differently. So what's the difference? Roughly, a fizzy chromie forces the viewer to move to see the vibrations of the colors and how the colors blend. The speed at which you move actually determines the color that you may see, but since these are usually in galleries or outdoors, lighting plays a huge role in how you perceive the color. If the object is outside, then the colors you see in the morning might differ from the colors you see midday or at night. And again, this all kind of is related to how quickly you move past it. So in many of them, he'll again place, it's typically like two or three colors. Um, and they're, they're close enough that you can still see the gaps in between. but Or they're far enough apart that you can still see the gaps in between, but they're close enough so that when you move past them, it's almost like the colors blend together. Um, and a chromosaturation is usually in a controlled environment, such as a gallery, and the time of day shouldn't affect the colors that you see. But what you're wearing, the colors of the gallery or interior space, and the general environment of where the chromosaturation takes place will alter um, your perception of color. 
There are typically colors projected, sometimes moving, that will alter how your eye perceives the color and the movement of them. So this is really cool and all, but what's the point in this type of art? Cruz Diaz and uh, Jose Rafael, or no, <laughs> oh my gosh, Jesus Rafael Soto believed that this would make art democratic because you didn't actually need to have any understanding of art or art history to understand the works themselves. And it's tied to a lot of the politics of the period, but I'm not gonna go into that because it's incredibly complicated. And I'm gonna try and keep this at the shorter episode length that I normally do. But the idea is that it's meant to kind of break down the barriers of the art world and the everyday viewer. That was the intended goal, but it's not entirely utopian because of course it's very based in the visual and anybody that has any sort of visual impairment might not actually be able to see this. So everybody sees differently. Some people don't see at all. So it's not entirely utopian. I've actually seen some of these works in person. One being at the University of Houston, it's called Double Physichromy. It's one of the public arts, or uh, public art pieces that's actually on view at the moment. And on one side, the colors are red and blue, I believe. And on the other, it's black and white. And so it's this huge like snake-like structure. And I'm pretty sure it takes up, I wanna say a good chunk of the courtyard that it's in. And the when they put it in, when they installed the work, they did sidewalks kind of on both sides. And so as you walk past, like if you're on the colored side, when you walk past, you'll see the colors blend. You can kind of see the black and white on the other side. And if you move slower, you can really pick out each color block. But if you were to run past it, those colors actually blend together. And again, it's entirely unique for every single person because of how our eyes perceive color. It's it's like, it's like, um, it's not a deformity, but it, when people are born with like, I think it's like a third cone in their eye and they can like, they can see like so many other colors. It's kind of like that, where everybody's eyes have a different range of what colors you see. And so the experience, if you're able to see it, is different for everybody, which is really neat. And on the other side of it, the black and white side, you can kind of see the blue and red peeking through. So it makes these like either dark reds and blues or light reds and light blues. So it, it really depends on the way that you go. It's, it's a little bit hard to explain if like for that one, if you haven't seen one before, but of course, like both his physichromies and chromosaturations are based in color theory. And since one is with the actual physical color itself and the other is the light, like the light source, it's two different types of color theory. So I don't know if you were ever in physics class where they do like the light projection where I think it's you blend all colors together to get white light. And then that's kind of the opposite if you were mixing paints where if you mix all colors together, theoretically you're supposed to get black, like all the primary colors. So it's like the opposite, experimenting with different, it's blending science and art like a lot of other movements do. And then the chromosaturation that I saw was at the Cistern and Buffalo Bayou during Latino Art Now. And it was this really, really cool experience. It was entirely underground. 
And when you first go in, they actually give you lab coats and they recommend that you wear light colored clothes or white if you can. White is better because of the way the light will hit your, your clothes. And so they offer you lab coats and as you're going in, they, like you see the lights and it was, I believe it was just red, yellow, and blue. And then the way that the colors crossed each other, it made different shades. And each section of the cistern, so I should describe the location. That would probably be a better way to start this. Um, it's an underground sort of like thing. <laughs> it's got water in it. I don't really know how you would describe a cistern. I know it's an actual thing, but I don't know how to like describe it. Anyway, moving past that, but so you go down, you go down into it and it's got this sort of ring on the outside, kind of like, like a circle path or like a semi square path. And then in the center, you have the water, there's pillars that are supporting the roof from the lake-ish part that's in there. And then what they did for this installation was they actually put in large white cubes that were floating across the water's surface. And so when the light would, would hit it, you, not only are you getting the reflection off of the water on, or sorry, you're getting the reflection off of the water in addition to the light being projected on the white source. So you're getting like these interesting patterns and a lot of them, they made sort of like triangle-ish shapes um, and they would shimmer. It was really neat. They, they shimmered and when you walk through the lights that they installed, they kind of, if you've ever been to like a light show, it's that same sort of slow movement and all of the lights in certain corners, they would move in different ways. And so the patterns that they would create were unique. And then if you were wearing the if you were wearing light clothes or the lab coats that they offered you, you would see how they would blend. And so it was really neat to see the light actually on your own clothes, the lab coat, and then on your skin. So it was, everything would change. And when it was projected on the walls of the cistern, you would see this really cool texture. And I have actually like a nice video of them, like, or the live photos that Apple has. And you'll see they kind of like, I think the best way, like he says it himself, they vibrate and it's really neat. And even though it's not like a, a physical vibration where you can feel it, it's this neat visual vibration where it kind of is like it's glistening. And then when you see it on the water, it's even, it, it vibrates even more and it has like this, I want to say tactile quality, but obviously you couldn't touch it, but it's just so serene and really calming. And it's entirely different from other ones that, that he has. So in other chromosaturation, they're in like a white gallery space and it's, the lights are being projected. Like there's one color in one spot and then another one being kind of projected around it. And so you see how they blend. And I feel like I'm describing this horribly and I'm so, so sorry. Um, I'm gonna pause actually. All right, so I pulled up a couple different chromosaturations so that I could describe them better to you. Um, so they'll be in a white gallery space and everyone is different. Some it looks like they have actually installed different architectural forms so that the light can 
cast shadows and create different colors, but also offer interesting angles for color to blend. And you'll see when people go through, the colors on their face start to change. A lot of them I'm seeing, they're actually wearing dark colors, which is kind of sad because like, how cool would it be if they had worn like a white t-shirt and like, or white shoes or something and you got to see the colors sort of changing on you and you get, you really get immersed in the work itself. Um, and I don't know, I think his works are really interesting. And if you haven't ever gotten to see them, you can actually find them at MoMA if you're in New York, Tate Modern in London, uh, Musée d'Art Moderne in Paris, Centre Pompidou also in Paris, MFAH, which I frequently, <laughs> I frequently nod to MFAH because I live here or near there, um, and Waldorf Richards Museum in Cologne. Um, of course, he has lots of works in, in uh, France because he lived there for quite some time and practiced there, but if you don't have a chance to see any of his works. There's other works like it in big cities. So whenever I was still in New York and I was kind of like wandering around, I would see in like big corporate buildings where they kind of take a similar concept. I don't know if it's actually his work or maybe an artist that is of the time period that he was practicing in or influenced by him, but they'll take like different light projections and kind of do a similar thing where they're blending the colors together or they've got these neat sort of pinstripes but they're different colors and they're vibrating in a certain way. Um, but let me jump back to the physichromies because I don't think if, like they're not always three-dimensional. Sometimes they're actually on a canvas, I believe. Yeah, and his early physichromies, they're sort of like muted dull colors and then as he get, as he like, I guess, matured in his career, they become much more bright and vibrant. And I don't know why that is, um, but it's really neat because the way you he pairs the lines, most of them are lines, but they're colored in strategic ways to create shapes. And it's like, it's two-dimensional, but it's almost as if it's popping up and off of the canvas, which is really neat. I mean, again, that's going back to that op art quality where, I mean, I feel like if you were to stare at it a really long time, certain shapes become more visible, but also if you walk past it too many times, you might get a little bit dizzy. It kind of reminds me of if you were a kid, you know, like when you drew those spirals or if they had them on cartoons and if you stared at it long enough, it would start to move. Um, that's kind of like this. I feel like if you stare at it long enough, they really start to, to like, like he said again, vibrate. And they're just such bright pops of color and I love the way on one of his from 2009 Physichromie 1606 there are one two three four five circles it looks like it's a little bit hard to tell again it's like your eyes are either there's tricks being played on your eyes and all of the colors they they alternate but some of them, they make darker colors, like a darker purple, and then next to it you have an orange. And so he's really pulling on those color theory ideas where you're placing, you know, analogous colors next to each other, but also complementary colors next to each other and seeing what happens. So, I mean, he's really, I mean, of course he's looking back, but he's also taking the ideas of like the early 20th century where, you're, where color theory really becomes popular and he's bringing it into his period. And it's, I don't know, I could sit and stare at these all day, um, which <laughs> I really am right now. I'm looking at like quite a few of them. And they're 
all different, but they all rely on the geometric form, um, which is which is really fascinating. Yeah. Actually, I just want to walk back and say that the one at the cistern was actually a chromo in- chromo interference, not a chromo saturation. He uses a lot of the same terminology or similar terminology, and it gets a little bit confusing, especially since they all do s- similar things. But the chromo saturation is like blocks of color, whereas the chroma interference is more of like the projected lines or other geometric shapes of color. Um, so yeah, sorry, my bad. I'm still learning, of course, and it's been a while since I've I've gotten to research his work. Um, but yeah, his like I said, his work is is incredibly fascinating, and I mean it's definitely immersive in the sense that it garners a lot of buzz, especially now around social media, whenever you have people going to view his works. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's kind of like those pop-up galleries where it's basically just like this wonderful place for people to take pictures for social media. Um, and that's kind of what it's become. It's kind of, it's, it's a different, it's taken on a different form of interaction. And I really like how art can develop. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like when social media gets added into the mix because it takes away from the quality of the art, as they say. But I don't think so. I think that it's a different way for people to engage and art is developing as technology does. And this is really great because the the works that he produces really go in line with changing technology. And so, I don't know, I like how they all sort of blend together in the con in like the theory but the physical production of it is slightly different and I think that is super fascinating yeah but he doesn't just use light or line he also uses what appears to be like some sort of stained glass or like plexiglassing wasn't that like kind of like plastic or is it glass I don't know I don't know the difference between plexiglass and glass I just know that one's thicker and the other one's usually thinner but there are these sort of like panels, like sheets of like intense color and they're hung in different ways or they're placed on the ground in different ways. And it looks like on some people can actually walk through them, whereas in others you have to walk around them. And it just creates this new sort of experience where again, the color is changing for every single person. And with these ones, it looks like there's this sort of nod to stained glass. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but from what I'm looking at, it kind of seems like it might be. If I'm wrong, please correct me. You can email me artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. And if I'm wrong, just tell me. Um, But yeah, so like, it's really neat. And as the light changes in the gallery or if it's outside some of these appear to be in well lit or naturally lit spaces then the color itself is going to change the reflection or shadows that they create will blend in different ways as the time or as the sun moves because of course you know when the sun moves your shadow goes in different directions and so it it would be really neat to see these in person i actually haven't haven't seen any of these in person but um it looks like when they're more like blocked out with like the different sheets of color that the colors will reach together. And again, as the time of day shifts, then the colors that that are created or blended together shift too. And so, yeah, a lot of his writing that I have looked at is quite dense, I'll be honest. Um, It's very based not only in like physics, 
and other aspects of science, but also, of course, heavily based in color theory. And I struggle with reading his works, not because of the language that he uses, but just the, the terminology. It's, it's um, very, as you would say, theory-based. And it can, it can get a little confusing. And so, like, I struggle with it, but his work is really fascinating. And I guess the nice thing is, since you technically don't have to know anything about color theory or art or art history to enjoy these, you can still enjoy them and just have fun. And I like that. Um, well, it looks like I am hitting that 30-minute mark. So I'm going to go ahead and stop here. Um, I think what I would like to do for one of the next episodes is cover the movement instead of the artist and see if we can tease out a longer conversation. If you really like the shorter ones, like episodes, just let me know. Or if you think you would listen to a longer one too, let me know. Um, I am more than happy to hear from you and I hope to hear from you soon. Again, if you aren't already following me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at artwatchpodcast. The website is going to be up soon and it will be www.artwatchpodcast.com. And I'm very excited for it. And as soon as I get it published, I will post it on social media. Um, and there'll be a blog on there and of course links to the episodes and a link to the merch shop. Oh my gosh, it's happening. It's actually happening. <laughs> I'm very excited. And yeah, thanks so much for sticking with the podcast. I hope you join me next week and I will talk to you then. Have a great week. Mm -hmm.